Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli, and I am really going to try hard not to curse this time. There's no cursing on this show. Except when I drop the F-bomb. One F-bomb because we get one with PG-13. Andrew, who are you? It's okay. It, we don't need to worry about the MPAA ratings because they have no control over us. They don't own us. We are free. Or are we? We are. Because this is not a film. Right. And Who are you? I am, <laughs> uh, I'm Andrew. I uh, tumble a lot on Vorthos topics on Tumblr. And I do a lot on Twitter and do a lot of stuff with MTG Salvation. And there's a Homerid in Domarinaria. It happened. Everybody, it's great. We're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But I want to get there now. Well, we still have to introduce Carrie. Carrie, who are you? Yeah. I'm Carrie. <laughs> so um, I am a Twitter Vorthos, and I talk about post-mending story. And the ultimate Vorthos troll. I, uh, you got to add that to your resume. I'll, I'll retain that title, yes. <laughs> All right. So today, we're going to talk about the first episode of Magic Story Dominaria by Martha Wells. And so it... Oh, what's that? I'm, I'm, I'm getting something across my desk here. Oh, it was delayed to next week. All right. Well, I guess we can think of something. Uh, we did get two Dominaria preview cards this week, so... One of them's a Homerit. Are, are either... We didn't. We didn't. Are, are... We didn't get preview cards. Well, we didn't get anything. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we could. Hint, hint, wink, wink to whoever's listening to this cast. We could. Truthfully, I am a little salty that I did not get to preview the Homerit. But I will survive. Just talk about it. You're, I know I know you're going to explode. Go if for you it. talk about it, good. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> last time we talked about Homerids, I said I was uh, I was hopeful, but had no expectations. But it turns out there is an actual Homerid in Dominaria. Homerid Explorer. It's a common for a three and a blue. It's a three-three Homerid Scout. When it enters the battlefield, target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard. And that's gonna. I almost instinctually read the ability um, as, with the his or her, but that is changing on Dominaria. We're getting uh, a pronoun change and shortening his or her down to there, which is great. It's I, like like I can't believe this card is real. He looks really cool. Like it's it's. Well, we're about a week later when we're well, when we're recording this, and like this is a thing that actually happened. I'm partially responsible, apparently. Short story on how that happened. About a year and a half ago, I found out that uh, Kelly Diggs is the person largely responsible for creature types in uh, the Magic Creative Department. So I jokingly said to him on Twitter, huh, you know, what do I have to do to get a Hummerid back in Magic? Mail you lobsters at work? And, you know, we shared a laugh about it. And then me being the kind of person who respectfully will take jokes farther than they are meant to go. <laughs> thought you know like like the idea that started like oh wouldn't it be funny if you know i said ha huh, i'm gonna mail you lobsters and then send them like an envelope full of like lobster confetti like a glitter bomb type thing but with lobsters like that would be fun um then i thought well but they're gamers i i could do better so i thought well what if i like take a picture of a homerid and write a message on it and cut it up and make kelly put it all together then i thought well that's really flimsy what if I like get an actual custom puzzle made? Because you can, there are numerous sites you can just get jigsaw puzzles with whatever image uploaded to them you want. And I'm like, and then I'll send that to Kelly. And then I thought, what if Kelly only got part of the puzzle? And what if he had to go track down the other parts of the puzzle from other coworkers, and none of them had any idea that this was going to happen? So that's what happened. <laughs> you can find this. We'll we'll link back to the to the Twitter escapades. I, I'll link. I I did a whole. I, I I wrote about it on on my Tumblr. So there's a whole there's a whole little post linking to everything that happened. So I ended up make, getting a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle with uh, pictures of four homerids and the message: "Empires fall, but tides rise again." Uh, sent it to <laughs> Kelly Diggs, Allison Lurs, Melissa Lee who's not at Wizards anymore, and Sean Main, who's also not at Wizards anymore. Good luck at Riot, guys. So the four of them each got a piece of the puzzle, had no idea what was going on. I got to watch the whole thing unfold on Twitter in real time as 
they figured everything out and put the puzzle together. It was a lot of fun. But apparently, internally, people like Kelly Diggs and Ethan Fleischer, who who like Homerids, used that puzzle and as an excuse to say, like, hey, you know, we can do one of these creatures. We can put one Homerid in for the Homerid fans that are common. That's that's fine. And then that that's what happened. Art director Mark Winters also had a fun little anecdote about the art because he's he he was uh, talking about it on Twitter, saying that you know he originally kind of vetoed the Homerid idea because he didn't have an artist that he think could pull off the art, and then found uh, the artist uh, Jahan Chu, who's who's a new magic artist. His first pieces uh, came out in Masters twenty five. He actually found him because he had done Homerid fan art. <laughs> before getting any wizards commissions and said, oh, actually, this person would be perfect. So so all these all these disparate things kind of all came together to make this one perfect card for me and for all the Homerid fans out there. We need to do better than one Homerid every 10 years. Can we talk about how uh, the the Homerid looks a bit like uh, Tamatoa from Moana? Well, because it's a crab crustaceans all kind of look alike so what i want to say is i really like the uh the design i didn't like very many of the older homerid designs but this one looks really cool like he's he's Uh, because uh, contrary to what people think old magic art was not better (laughs) and we have a riot on our hands one of the things i actually like about the art for homerid explorer is that um anatomically it's very true to what we saw in fallen empires and alliances even even as far as like the wood the driftwood staff and the driftwood um armor this is technical prowess of of the illustration aside this is a piece of fallen empires yep. uh which is fantastic um but then yes Jehenshu, just a fantastic artist um he's put like so much personality into this curious little creature that doesn't really have an emotive face it's just the the piece is so good yeah let's let's talk about phyrexian scriptures phyrexian scriptures introduces a new uh subtype for enchantments called sagas which of course is a vorthos dream because they cover what appear to be cultures novels and events of the past so like phyrexian scriptures is something that has appeared on a bunch of flavor text in the past to give you an idea of what like the phyrexian philosophy is mm-hmm. but what's really cool about it is the art because of the way the frame is designed we have this long narrow artwork that's very evocative of the yeah, vertical uh, art which we usually only see on planeswalkers and Eldrazi. right um and we see, and what's interesting is uh, Amonkhet played with, you know, the the aspect ratio of the art, and so now sagas are playing with the aspect ratio too, and they create some some good pieces. Although I think the the sagas going vertical look better than some of the uh, Amonkhet pieces that went horizontal, just because they're easier the, to read. The problem, yeah, the problem with the aftermath cards. The aspect ratio was great. There's some of the aftermath cards used that long narrow strip to do some really cool pieces of art. The problem was the the sideways aftermath section took up less than half a card. So at card size, the art is so tiny it is might as well not be there. Um, but it, if you if you go look at the those af- pieces of aftermath art at full hd resolutions they are beautiful but yes phyrexian scriptures i think is definitely more successful at card size what we should note as well is it's a reference to which which version of dark ritual is was that a reference to i think it was urza's saga urza's saga yeah okay it's it's uh the urza saga dark ritual is one of the five cards that has a flavor text quote from the phyrexian scriptures and it has a hand off to the side with a what looks like an early version of the yagmoth mask draining blood just like the phyrexian scriptures art and what's cool about phyrexian scriptures is it has the uh phyrexian Phyrexian language that was the phyrexian language that was developed at uh, Wizards of the Coast. So some of you might not know, during New Phyrexia, they actually hired a linguist to create a, uh, a whole new language for Phyrexians. 
So those that script doesn't just translate to like English. It's not phonetic. Um, it's not like a cipher or code. It's literally a, a different language. Uh, I believe it's called like a conlang, I think is what you call it when you invent something like that. But anyway, uh, someone finally cracked the script and what it means because we have we have like some Rosetta stones. There was an old uh, there was a video from New Phyrexia that had the script and the translation. Yeah, the new the new Phyrexia trailer and I think maybe one of the Mirrodin Besiege trailers had it. And then Elish Norn had it as well. So Yeah, there was the judge promo Elish Norn in the full Phyrexian text. So someone cracked it and we learned it's actually the the same the same dark ritual that the Phyrexian scripture is from. It's the uh, flavor text to the dark ritual whose art it's evoking, which is just a very cool detail. Yeah. But I think we've talked about that enough. I think uh, we should pass it here to Carrie, who wants to talk a little bit about the application of sagas outside of Dominaria, because this is a very cool Vorthos moment. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting card type. Phyrexian scriptures, for example... The plus one is Ashnod's Trident's Morgrant, which well, is... You said, you said plus one like it's a Planeswalker, which is apt, because the sagas mechanically are based on the original Planeswalker designs that got scrapped in future sight. Right. Yeah. Um, then you get your minus two and minus three. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so sagas are broken up into three chapters, and you get a lore counter when they enter or at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase. Yeah. And then the abilities trigger based on what chapter you're on, and then at the end the enchantment sacrificed so so this when you when you cast a saga you start telling the story of whatever the saga is about and then when you've done the story the saga goes away which is really flavorful um from a gameplay perspective it's a great way to rework that old design right and and like each of the abilities if you care you want to talk through like the the vorthos significance of each of Frexing scriptures abilities I mean, it all comes down to artifact creatures <laughs> right. for the most part. Um, you get Ashnod's Transmorgant for the first ability. Um, the second chapter is destroy all non-artifact creatures. Third chapter is exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. I don't know the significance of that one. That's... I mean, it's not really returning them from the battlefield, so it's not like it's not like Yogmoth Death Cloud, but. This is the story, I mean, this is the ideal of Yawgmoth's Rexia. We take things made of flesh, we turn them into artifacts, we use them and destroy all fleshy things, and then when our victory is complete, there will be nothing left of our enemies. Like, that. that's his dream for the whole multiverse, yeah. which gets to play out in card form, which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, but where these can be used in the future, there aren't many planes that we have had. We haven't had a third return to a given plane. We have had um, Dominaria two returns, Ravnica two returns, Innistrad two returns, Endicar two returns. But nothing has comparable 10 years plus worth of story that Dominaria has. And so where Dominaria gets to have like 12 cards and 36 abilities more or less across those cards, there's not as much opportunity for other settings. If we were to hypothetically return to worlds, something like the Sundering on Alara, which happened millennia ago and ended up splitting the plane, um, the Guild Pact when it was signed on Ravnica, or even more recently, the Guild Pact being broken on Ravnica, or the Guild Pact being reestablished on Ravnica. Kamiora on Kamigawa was Andrew's suggestion. The Dark Barony on Olgratha, the establishment of that would be a good one. Every plane has a few events in the past that have never really been described yeah, on a card. Like, like big impactful events that shaped the story of that entire world. Where we've seen curses return in stuff like commander sets and yeah. one-offs in, um, I believe, Amonkhet had the curse with Gideon portrayed on it. Uh, uh, Amonkhet had a couple curses in them. You know. Yeah. Having something deciduous like the curse style cards where a saga could be told specifically for a block yeah that catches up people on the story while also just being an entertaining type card uh, i i like it like the way curses are deciduous I, I like sagas as a tool that we don't necessarily need to go back and use like 12 of them in a set like dominari is doing and we don't know it's just 12 
there could be more that didn't need as much rules explanation. A command like the last year's commander set brought um, phasing back for Teferi's protection just for the one card for a super flavorful interaction. Something like that could be used. You know, a, a saga could appear in a commander set if it makes sense. Or maybe there's like a future core set where there's just like maybe a cycle of five at rare and they do catch up on some of the old stories like that. And it would be very cool considering we have a core set coming up that's potentially a look back at history, but we'll get to that in a second. And then commander deck this year that are Planeswalker focused. Yeah. They get you caught up on a story and the story beats without you reading a novel. Right. You reading trilogy of novels. For example, we have Planeswalker commanders returning for commander, a Planeswalker that people have been asking about basically forever is Sarah. Unfortunately for Sarah, she died a long time ago, and her story really isn't told on cards. It's mostly told in the old Armada comics. Um, so maybe her interaction and uh, with like Faraz on Ogratha, maybe that's a saga card. Ooh, it would be cool if the Song of All, which is like the, the hymn that's associated with her, was the name of her catch-up card. Right. And that would be another thing you could do, like the song of all, and talk about her create because Sarah created an entire plane herself, Sarah's realm. The song of all could be a saga that maybe talks about that, um, and and that, that just just like the saga as a tool for interesting mechanics that also help tell magic story without burdening an audience with all this catch-up work that they have to go track down. Like, I, I just think that's a, it's a really cool tool Absolutely. that R&D has forever now, now that it's created. Agreed. I think they're just a, a major flavor win. Uh, and it's really nice to see that, especially now that, you know, Magic's history is starting to pile up, and even the, the soft reboot of The Mending has piled up 10 years' worth of stories. Yeah. The mending was ten years ago, and you know we we talked about how few planes have had so many returns. Uh, I mean, we're anticipating a third return to Ravnica sometime in the next year. It'll be the first plane other than Dominari that we've gone back to for a third time. So we're you know Ravnica is incredibly popular. We mentioned the Guild Pact as one of those pivotal events that could be a saga. We just got to meet Azor for the first time in Magic Story during <laughs> Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan. Alright, so with that, speaking of history, speaking of let's history, move on to the core trio of Dominaria, the three people who feature prominently on the key art for Dominaria, Karn, Tefiri, and Joyra. Yep, we've, we've talked about a lot of Dominarian history and um, I know last week was our kind of big prep for the story that ended up getting delayed. Uh, but we the, these are the three characters that have a lot of backstory that we didn't really talk about yet. So we're going to do that. So for our Dominaria pr other pre-show, uh, we're <laughs> going to talk a little bit of background here. So these three characters all first appeared in the novel Time Streams. And I highly recommend if you only read one pre-mending novel about these characters read this one because it stands on its own pretty well uh so it starts that uh joyra and tefiri are both students on this island academy of talaria which is kind of like hogwarts from hell it gets bad it's run by urza planeswalker who is going by the nickname malzra because i don't know why <laughs> His his name is a curse word for people at this point, but I don't think anyone would think it was. Oh, it's the Urza, yeah. obviously, because Malzra is so much better of a well, disguise. I mean, I mean, if if you essentially set off a bomb that led to one of the worst periods on the entire plane's history, um, I probably wouldn't go around advertising that I'm that same person. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, uh, Joyra is, I think, like 15 or 16 at the time. Tefiri is like 13 or 14 and is crushing hard on Joyra. And still bald. He's bald and as a kid. Like, I'm pretty sure he just shaved his head. I believe that he is born bald, and that's just a, an essential part of who he is. 
so they're both prodigies. Joyra's an artificer prodigy. Uh, she's from the Gitu tribe, who are very skilled artisans. And uh, Tefiri is from Zalfir, uh, and he's just a he's a, a wizard prodigy, and also a a, a prankster maker of hijinks. Prankster, thank you. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a second, Andrew? Because I know you love a certain device. Yeah, he makes a fart device. So there is a card uh, confiscate, uh, confiscate. Yep. from which was Urza Saga, so the first set in the block, um, where we, you can see young Teferi and uh, young Joyra, and then their teacher Baron. Um, and Baron is taking a, a little glowy blue thing away and scolding Teferi, who has his hands up like, I didn't do nothing wrong. Um, and the flavor text is a quote from Baron. I don't understand why he works so hard on a device to duplicate a sound so easily made with hand and armpit. Um, <laughs> the implication is that Teferi built a little device that makes fart noises, uh, which is fantastic. Um, he also had the Beeble shoes. Beebles don't really factor in, like, they're they're in the artwork as something silly, but they don't really factor into the story at all. The Beeble shoes, I think he talks about them in... The, maybe it's in the time spiral block when he's thinking back to something he did. It could I know, be. I know there's a point where he he's, he he ties beebles, which are these little pink bouncing critters that don't appear in magic anymore, uh, except in unsets. Um, he straps them to bottoms of shoes that let him jump like thousands of feet at once. So he he does like all sorts of little goofy pranky stuff because it's a school and he's like the class clown, but also the super genius and then we enter the third member of this trio which is karn uh who's probably one of the most important in all of magic story uh i think he's appeared in the most novels of any character in magic story yeah, that sounds right yeah karn um urza isn't a fan of karn at first urza doesn't well, think of karn doesn't like a understand person. so yeah. urza creates so here's let me back up here's urza's problem Urza has created a time machine. The issue is he can't find a probe that can sustain the rigors of time travel well enough. And so he, he discovers silver is the perfect metal. So that's why Karn is made of silver. But then uh, they, they don't have the autonomy to do anything useful in the past. Because most artifacts they have, like, they're very, they're very focused, very one-track mind. So he installs what he calls the cognitive effective matrix, uh, which that's what he tells everyone it is. What it really is, is Zancha's heartstone. It's and a Zancho, Frexian heartstone from right. the Frexian that he was friends with who is now dead. It's pretty messed up. And let me just explain what a heartstone is, first of all. So a power stone was this Thran device that they would charge with mana and then it would emit like... It, it would be like a, 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 a perpetual energy machine. Like these things almost never ran out of power when they got dug up thousands of years later, they were still good. Like energizer bunny type stuff. A heart stone is a power stone that it was implanted in a person. So in Phyrexia, they would implant these in the newts as they grew and then extract them later. Uh, and so it was like, it would basically absorb their soul and so their soul was contained in these heartstones. And if you damage the heartstone, you could damage them. And that's part of what kept like the newts in line before they were completed. Uh, and that's what led, you know, Yogmoth do a lot, whole lot of n nasty things. But anyway, the heartstone. So basically, he has Zancha's st actual soul. So he builds him and then promptly ignores this intelligent artifact that he just created and pawns him off on a student which is joyra uh joyra is pretty friendly so she's really nice and she immediately recognizes that karn is like a she recognizes him as a person i guess is the best way to put it tefiri does not tefiri's kind of a jerk face <laughs> um he he makes up nicknames for him i think he calls him Artie shovelhead or Artie Shovelface. He call he wants to call him the Null Moon at first, the null moon. and Karn is insulted because he thinks that Null would mean he's an empty human, and so yeah, he goes from artifact to Artie to he looks like a giant metal spoon, so he's like the largest metal object, and it would be or a silver object, and it would either be like ladle head or shovel head, and so 
Artie Shovelhead is born, which he starts identifying himself as, which is... Eh. <laughs> <laughs> and that is until, I believe, Joyra gives him his real name, which is, uh, uh, which is the Thran word for Mighty Karn. So Joyra is kind of lonely, like uh, Tefiri's crushing on her, but basically it's all these, you know, she's used to like warrior men at at home. (laughs) Yeah, she's from the island of Shiv, which is the big volcanic island filled with dragons, um, which does is, is not an environment that cultivates a lot of nerds. Well, nerds, I was was just going (laughs) to say, uh, level-headed calm friendly people it's it's a lot of angry shouty i mean well it is red, fire yeah. slingers yeah um <laughs> but no i think i think the issue is that um she thinks all the men are just all the boys on the island are just juvenile because we should mention because they are mo- most of the yeah most of the people on the island are are young because they would only recruit young people because phyrexia couldn't duplicate children for some reason uh, with their sleeper agents they could only duplicate adults so enter the castaway she finds on the beach a guy named carrick she hides carrick and nurses him back to health only for carrick to turn out to be a phyrexian sleeper agent and to bring in a uh, phyrexian assault force which devastates the uh devastates the academy and uh, kills a bunch of people including Oops. joyra karn isn't able to save Joyra's life, and so he goes back to the time machine and travels back in time by, like, an hour. Um, and he saves Joyra, and he stops the Phyrexians, for the most part. In the process, the time machine explodes and creates these time bubbles all over the island. I like to call them bubbles, because, like, there's an isle- there's a uh, Urza's Saga card in that block somewhere that just looks like a bunch of bubbles on the island and that's meant to show all the different like time dilation effects going on everywhere there's a card from urza's legacy slow motion that shows joyra and teferi and teferi's trapped in a time bubble and you can see this kind of spherical glowy thing it's a good illustration of how uh, a good way to think about it so uh that ends up killing a whole lot of the staff anyway uh, Urza teleports a bunch of people to safety, but he turns them to stone because he can't think of anything else fast enough. And he owns, he's only able to save like a hundred people or something like that. Urza's like, the worst. Karn rescues a few. Uh, Joyra rescues a few. Um, Tefiri gets stuck in this slow time bubble. He like catches fire and he's stuck in this slow time bubble so that for him, almost no time passes over the course of decades like seconds pass for him uh so 10 years later maybe five years later i don't remember it it, it jumps like five years at a time a couple times in the novel uh but urza and karn return on this new ship called uh new talaria um and it basically only exists for a few chapters and they come to rebuild and they expect everyone to be dead, and they find Joyra still there, still thriving, and not having aged. They discover that water coming out of slow time, these slow time bubbles, uh, drastically slows people's aging. And so Joyra still looks like she's a teenager, even though at this point she's in her 20s. And if you wondered how she's still alive today, this is the answer. Yeah, so she drank it for long enough that in the Time Spiral novels, it's mentioned that basically she doesn't have to drink it anymore. It's just permanently affected her. There's a whole side plot where there are these Phyrexians that get stuck in a fast time bottle, a bubble with uh, Carrick as their leader, and he <laughs> he drops his vowels and just takes up some apostrophes instead. So he goes from Carrick to Kirk or something weird like that. And they're basically the talarians as they rebuild are in this arms race with these fast time phyrexians uh to try and defeat them but for our core trio they're not too heavily involved in that war because they get taken to the mana rig uh urza discovers that joyra has this pendant that has a it's i think it's like a sculpture made out of this metal that continuously grows and is like ridiculously hard so he goes to find out where it was made it's made of this thran metal and it's made back in her homeland as shiv 
So in uh, in Shiv, he meets Rami Daragaz, which is this dragon guardian uh, protecting the mana rig for the Vyashino who control it. And he negotiates with uh, the Vyashino for access to the Thran Metal Forge. Tefiri, Joyra, and Karn get assigned to basically oversee production. Well, Tefiri and Joyra get assigned. Karn gets sold. <laughs> he gets sold to the Viashino, and this is kind of a trend for Urza because he just kind of sells, <laughs> sells Karn repeatedly uh, throughout the story because uh, he still doesn't recognize Karn as like a person. You know, it's just a bargaining chip. Uh, so this is basically what they do. They eventually they defeat the the fast time Phyrexians. Um, but Joyra and Tefiri stay behind on the mana rig. They discover that it can make power stones in addition. Um, Karn wins his freedom in the battle with the fast time Phyrexians because the Viashino uh, recognize like his bravery and they recognize that he's a person and they're like, we can't own you because you're a person, not a thing. Um, which is just a, a funny contrast with Urza. And then we get into the novel Bloodlines. Before we get in there, is there anything you two wanted to talk about more about time streams? Ursa's a jerk. Yeah, this is true. Baron argues very hard for Urza to act like a father. And when Urza shrugs off that responsibility, Baron is kind of that placeholder for quite a bit. For Karn. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this is uh, one of the time rifts gets created in time streams. Time streams right. also, right? Yeah. Right. That's right. The the time machine exploding that becomes relevant in time spiral. So the next novel is uh, Bloodlines. There, we're only going to talk about this briefly because Karn only factors into this very briefly, and Joyra and Tefiri don't appear at all. So. Urza has embarked on this quest to create these genetically engineered super soldiers. He he creates these. He's got two different versions, basically. He's got the blue Metathran, which are basically designed just for war. And then he's got the, uh, the legacy bloodlines, which he intends to be like his generals during the war. So that's Gerard, Sisse. They, they come from those bloodlines. He spends uh, all this time with a human eugenics program selectively breeding his peers on Dominaria, uh, more just just add it to the list of crappy things Karn does during his life, or um, Urza does during his life. <laughs> Not Karn. Karn though gets assigned, um, well, gets kind of sold again. He gets given away as a wedding gift to the Capuchin clan on uh, Benalia. And he's basically, it's, it's kind of covert because he's given as a gift, but in reality, it's, they're the most promising bloodline. And uh, Urza is creating these political marriages among them to get like the, the best eugenics going, basically. Uh, and Karn's signs, essentially a, a, a dowry, basically. Yeah, he's a, he's a dowry in one of these strategic alliances. And uh, he's assigned to basically just guard the heir to the bloodline. So at the end of Time Streams, Joyra becomes the first captain of Urza's new ship, his skyship Weatherlight. And uh, Joyra and Karn, um, I'm not sure if Tefiri is there, I don't remember him, but they go to Sarah's realm and rescue a bunch of survivors, uh, which I, we talked about that last time. Yeah, the whole Radiant. Yeah, the whole Radiant thing. So what we should note is that Urza then settles them in Benalia, um, yep. And so they create a, uh, a a community called Davis, which is kind of funny because the, like if any of you are theology people, you know Davis and angels are, you know they're they're, they're words for these celestial beings. On Benalia, the uh, Serens train the Capuchin heir, and so every time Karn comes back, he has this hero's welcome. But we should mention Karn also gets a memory limiter installed because he starts to get depressed because he remembers his whole life perfectly. And when Joyra and his friends aren't around and he doesn't see them for like centuries, he uh, he just gets more and more down. And so to avoid that, I believe 
Baron and Urza install a memory limiter to just the last 10 years, so he doesn't remember his whole history anymore. The Frexians get wind of the Bloodlines project, and they start slaughtering everyone, and Karn has to disappear with the baby Gerard Capuchin. So we uh, we pick back it up with them in Tempest, but... I, I, w- I wish we could get art of that, because it would be like teeny tiny little newborn baby Gerard, but then Karn is like eight feet tall, <laughs> and I assume it would look pretty You could silly. hold him in like half a hand. Like, like Karn's just standing there with a pointer finger up with like Gerard collapsed on with his little baby strength. So Joyra... It's <laughs> uh, making me laugh. <laughs> Joyra during this time is still in Shiv. She hangs out in the mana rig. Tefiri had returned to Zalfir in Jimura. Screw stuff up at home. Uh, and he was doing his own time travel experiments, and he accidentally phases out his whole island at home. And I think we talked about the Mirage War before. So we Yeah, won't... we talked about it in the big history. So basically, when he phases it back in two centuries later, he finds these three wizards were warring over his uh over basically the power that he unleashed and he sends visions to these heroes all over jamura one of which is sise of the weatherlight who is the new captain who inherited it uh from her parents who died so she doesn't know the origins of the weatherlight at this point that brings us to tempest or the novel wrath and storm where uh karn is Basically, he was tricked by the villain uh, Volrath into killing an innocent person, and so he takes this vow of pacifism. And as the Weatherlight crew investigates Wrath as they were tricked there, basically, Karn has some traumatic experiences where he's used to... Well, let me turn this over to Andrew, because I know you wanted to talk about this. Yeah, where where Karn is captured, the Weatherlight storms into the plane of Wrath, which is the the home base of the Frexian invasion, completely unprepared, and they get their butts handed to them. Basically. Man, it sounds just like another story we've heard recently. <laughs> but this is where Miri dies, Krovax gets cursed, Tongarth, Karn, and the Legacy get captured, Gerard falls overboard. It's it's like a whole mess. The torture they set up for Karn, because he's taken this vow of pacifism where he, he doesn't want to hurt anybody, uh, they put him in this unstable dark room with a bunch of mogs, which are the little goblin people. And as I mentioned before, because it's important, Karn is an eight-foot-tall slab of silver. <laughs> so in this darkness, the, the flowstone around him moves. Uh, Karn accidentally steps on mogs and hurts and kills them, which is a pretty crappy thing to do for someone who's taken a vow of pacifism, which is why it's torture. The other important thing is that the legacy, the pieces of the legacy they have, they had collected this is ursa's big overly complicated super weapon plan to kill yogmoth so the fragments have the parts that they've assembled so far and they need to get them back so volrath had put them in deep in the sliver hives uh talked about the slivers last week and by the um, way this is a great episode for andrew because he gets to talk about two of his favorite creatures in magic ever the hummers yeah, and the slivers if, if, if only there were Eldrazi, this would be like the best Borthos cast ever. Um, anyway, so the pieces of the legacy were put under guard by, um, were guarded by the Sliver Queen, who's sitting in her big old Sliver Cave, just chilling, probably not very happy because she was taken to Wrath to be studied by Volrath. Um, and She's initially hostile towards Karn because Karn, Karn wanders in to get the legacy back. And she's like, no, I'm supposed to be guarding this stuff. And Karn is like, okay, think about it this way. <laughs> You're a hive mind and all the slivers on Wrath are all really part of you. You're kind of like one big being. Well, I'm kind of like that with the legacy. All those little trinkets are really part of this larger legacy-ness that I am the core of. And the Sliver Queen, being a perfectly rational gigantic monster, says, yeah, that, that makes sense. I can see that, And uh, yeah. she she hands over the pieces of the legacy to Karn, and he pieces out with them. Um, and that's the story of how the Sliver saved the multiverse. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so, you know, Karn is, I should note, on the weather light, he is the uh, engineer, and he's kind of got like a symbiotic thing with the weather light because they're both pieces of the legacy. Let's fast forward a little to the invasion because there's not a lot of character development for him in Mercadian masks. That's that's the that's the set of awkward background Karn. Yes, yeah, Karn is just kind of there in the invasion. Uh, Karn's vow of pacifism is further tested as uh, you know his friends face overwhelming odds again and again. And he eventually decides that, you know, uh, Frexia had tried to make a killer of him. And basically, if if it means defending his friends, then they succeeded. And there's this kind of amazing moment where, like, these armies that have just, like, tried and tried and tried to uh, get into the caves of Kolios uh, to fight the Frexian general at the time. I forget her name off the top of my head. She's a spidery woman. Sabo Stavak? Yeah. Sabo Tavak, I think. Yeah, whatever. Whatever it is. Whatever her name is pronounced. She's cool. Karn basically just stomps his way through. (laughs) He, like, jumps off the weather light and stomps his way in and through and uh, basically gets there just in time to help Gerard uh, and everyone survive and kill Sabo Tavak. So then um, Karn goes back to being the engine guy, except like something in him's changing. His he has this connection to this book called the Thran Tome, um, and he's he's getting these weird powers. So like, Multani is this forest spirit, and the Weatherlight's wood sections are made out of wood from his forest in Yavamaya. Maltani can imbue his spirit into the wood and just kind of appear and disappear and melt into the wood and just be part of it. And so he does that to help strengthen the ship. Karn starts to being able to do the same thing with the metal in the ship, which is really weird. And so it's clear that both Karn and the Weatherlight are evolving throughout the series. Near the the end where he installs the Thran Tome and evolves the weather light into a thinking being which it's a thinking being for like a day before it dies <laughs> but uh karn it's pretty clear something very strange is going on with karn where he has all these powers he really should not have as just a simple metal golem he ends up coming up with uh the plan to turn the weather light into a, a living being and then in order to defeat Yagmoth, they crack open the Null Moon and shoot Moonbeam power down at him. In reality, it's like white mana that has been stored up in there for centuries, but I like calling it Moonbeam power. That fails, and so <sighs> bodiless Urza. So uh, the biggest bullshit plan ever in Magic history happens. <laughs> and damn it, there's no swearing on the show. Yeah, there's no swearing, but it's bullshit. Urza's eyes get plucked out by Gerard and then fused. Urza's just a disembodied head at this point. Yeah, and so he's dead for real. And then fused into Karn, and the resulting explosion between Karn, the Weatherlight, the entire legacy, and whatever is what finally kills Yagmoth because the moonbeam power didn't do it. And in the aftermath, uh, Karn has. I don't think. Like, it goes back and forth whether or not he's an artificial planeswalker, as in he has the Weatherlight's plane-shifting engines inside him, or if he has Urza's spark, which may or may not be Glacian's spark from the Mightstone and Meekstone that get put inside him. Yeah, but either way, he becomes a, <laughs> either way, it becomes a, it, 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 he becomes a planeswalker, too. In the wake of the invasion, um, Karn is a planeswalker. Hooray! He goes off and creates his own plane, the mathematically perfect world of Argentum. In the meantime... Back on Dominaria, things have gone to hell in the wake of this cataclysmic war. So Karn sends a probe to go check it out and see how stuff is doing. That probe's called the Mirari. Things don't go well. The Mirari's defective, screws everything up. Karn shows up at the end of Scourge, which is the end of that two-block uh, story, to and get what was his, the Mirari what was his back. nickname, Carrie? I remember... <laughs> I mean, Karn doesn't show up. Lord Macht shows up. <laughs> okay. And and it's revealed on the second to last page that he's actually Karn Planeswalker. But because no one thinks to mention he's an eight-foot silver I golem. I mean, between, like, Urza's nickname at the beginning of Time Streams and Karn's nickname, they're just concealing their identities. So. 
Yeah. With silly nicknames. Basically. It, it's the Scourge story. It's like, I hate it. Anyway, so he takes the Marari back um, and makes an apprentice out of Jessica, who was also Phage, who was also Corona. Um, that's the whole thing. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Like I said, hate the Scourge story. And Jessica's a planeswalker, so he, he takes her to Argentum, and, and he meant, he goes around the multiverse uh, mentoring her for a couple centuries. But he takes the Marari back to Argentum and turns it into a golem to start with. Yeah, a golem called the Warden, except Karn may have tracked something to Argentum. Yeah, so so he create he creates he turns the Marari into a golem to watch over Argentum while he's gone traveling the multiverse with Jessica. Here's the problem. Urza, because he's an idiot and does everything wrong, <laughs> built Karn with a Frexian heartstone. Which means the heartstone is corrupted by Frexian oil, which starts to drip drop. So this is a whole thing by itself, I should note, because the original intent for the Frexian oil on that's drip dropping from Karn was that it was a uh, late game super weapon or like a prototype weapon from according to the author of the um, Mirrodin novels. But that was later retconned when we returned to Scars. Well, I guess it wasn't really retconned because it wasn't really canon. It was, you know, word of God. It was the author said this thing on an internet thread and it was never relevant in any of the stories. Right, exactly. But if it's not not published in an actual story, consider it loose canon at best. Yeah. Yeah. So this Phyrexian oil starts dripping on Argentum and. The Warden, this protective golem, gets big ideas about how he wants to be a planeswalker and becomes the being we known as Memnarch. So Memnarch does some crazy things. He, he creates these soul traps to, to bring all these creatures to, uh, to, to Mirrodin. But from Karn's point of view, Karn, Karn becomes unable to manifest on, uh, on Argentum or what he thought was Argentum. So when he's finally able to return, he finds this elf named Glissa, this goblin named Slowbad, and this headless uh, necromancer. I'm sorry, this bodiless necromancer named Geth. And they're like, yeah, your golem went crazy. And he's like, oh. (laughs) He he turns it back into the Marari, basically, and it disappears from sight. The next time we see them all is in Time Spiral, which, Carrie, did you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, Time Spiral kicks off with um Jorira and Tefiri. Well Jorira Tefiri returning to Dominaria after That's right, because they we, we should have mentioned they pieced out at the Phyrexian invasion because Teferi said, Yeah, we're not gonna deal with any of this crap. He phases out Salfir and Shiv with him and Joyra and Time Spirals when they come back. Yeah, we we've we I think we've talked about that before, so yeah. I think we can be forgiven for, for not mentioning it this time. Please forgive us. Time Spiral blows through a whole bunch of rift visits and brings on Venser, goes along with Tefiri and Joyer for most of the series. Um, he gets pulled off on his own stuff quite a lot for Urborg-specific Arbor- plot lines, but Tefiri, at the end of Time Spiral, the novel, is ready to make his... After seeing Rada's connection to the Rift, and he is ready to do his own spark sacrificing, connecting to the land, and wants to. So he he connects to the um to these Shivan Rift. He connects his spark to it, and then like pours he's all his spark. Die. Yeah, he's ready to die, and pours all his spark into the Shivan Rift uh, to phase it back in, uh, phase Shiv back in, and seal the Rift at the same time. Yeah, and when he doesn't die, that's an issue. They bring Bolas back. Yeah, they in Time Spiral they bring Bolas Deferi back. Gets chopped up. Venser, Venser, yes, Venser, uh, Venser gets suckered into allowing Nickel Bolas to reconnect to his spark. And before Core Twenty Nineteen, we'll go into way more detail about Bolas stuff. In Planar Chaos, uh, Tefiri and Joyra are running around trying to. Oh uh, well. Joyra gets kidnapped by Freya Elise uh, to try and convince Radha to come back to Sky Shroud, and Tefiri is running around trying to convince Lord Windgrace and Freya Elise to give up their sparks to seal the rifts, or possibly die doing so. 
and he eventually succeeds. Uh, Karn returns. um, And then goes back in time. And goes back in time by thinking real hard and seals the the rift he originally caused. Um, The the issue was Baron had, in the meantime, uh, basically caused another Silex blast, although on a much smaller scale. Uh, on Talaria so to the defeat card all obliterate. the yeah correct he uses the Blair of Doom which is the same spell from the uh, Golgothian Silex that Urza used to wipe out Argoth um, so he had to go back in time to before Baron used the spell because the damage was so bad it was ir- irreparable if he didn't do that and when he loses when he starts to lose his spark he feels the Phyrexian taint coming on and so he basically disappears now without the spark that's when he realizes oh crap something's wrong don't think too hard about anything surrounding the continuity or metaphysics of mirrodin and new phyrexia it's just new phyrexia now don't think too hard well, about it well but i will let andrew the, talk. The, the the issue is karn you're only supposed to have a spark if you're a sapient organic being who was born um and the problem is karn through a whole bunch of loopholes and exceptions, ends up with a spark despite being a golem with a Phyrexian heart. It's not like he breaks all the rules. Like five thousand little exceptions had to happen for Karn to become a planeswalker. So stuff works really weird with him, and just go with it. But anyway, so he feels this taint coming on as he gives up his spark to seal the time rift, and he flings himself back home uh, to his plane, which is now called Mirrodin. And that's when we get the new Frexia story, where Karn, Karn kind of seals himself up in, in the core of the plane, which is where the Frexians have been brewing for centuries. And as he gets further and further corrupted, he's, his personality starts to fracture. So there are moments where he's, he's lucid. So he's, he, there's, you know, good Karn is still in there somewhere. But then there's bad Karn, Frexian Karn who has given, you know, taken on the mantle of the Father of Machines, which was uh, Yogmoth's title back on Phyrexia. And, um, you know, he orders the Phyrexian forces to, to slaughter the Mirren Resistance. And by accident, counsel. by the way. Like, they're the, they're, the Phyrexians are, like, asking him for counsel, and he's just kind of, ra- he's thinking of something else, and he says... Yeah, so, like, he, like gives he, the command he ranks and raves, like, like Karn... Karn is really mentally unstable at this point, and like, like th- there's there's so many cool, neat world building details about Nufrexia. Um, but like, like there are whole factions of Nufrexians that take Karn's mad fueled blathering as like religious scripture, uh, which is it's it's funny. Um, Nufrexia is like so disjointed on the inside; it's great. Um, <laughs> So, so Elspeth, Koth, and Venser uh, all go to try and rescue him. Venser has a whole thing where he has a lot more like of a history with Karn than we actually ever saw. Like he knows Karn for a day. No. Venser makes up. Uh, <laughs> He's like, yeah, I totally know this, Karn. He knew Karn for like a day. Venser imagines this really close friendship he has with Karn because um, he's a big fanboy. <laughs> basically he's the he's the senpai noticed me oh we're best friends now crazy stalker (laughs) uh which is why he ends up giving up his own life to save karn yeah so basically what happened is the author of uh quest for karn did not actually read any of the events and like they did not read the time spiral novels and possibly not the original mirrodin novels either and they apparently did not get a great brief about either and like this whole backstory friendship where Karn showed Venser Mirrodin, which could not have happened at any time because we, we can account for the overlap that we see both of them in in Time Spiral. Quest the whole of Karn is not a very good novel. Basically, all you need point. to know is at the end, uh, Venser. Who is already dying anyway. Yeah, teleports his heart into Karn. It's not really clear. I think. In, when they retell it later, they try and push it to a more metaphysical aspect. But in the novel, it's like he literally teleports his heart into Karn. And he had been given immunity by Malira. Uh, and so that immunity was then transferred to Karn. 
uh, and Karn well, is... Malira cleanse, cleanses Karn's body, but can't cleanse his heartstone. Thing. So, so what? Yeah, basically, it's what happens is she can cleanse the corruption as long as it hasn't reached a person's heart, and apparently, the corruption had reached Karn's heart stone. I'm not sure the author realized Karn wasn't like a person. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So it's a whole thing. But anyway, the the, the point is, Venser sacrifices his life and Planeswalker Spark to fully cleanse Karn of his Phyrexian corruption. Um, giving his spark to Karn, and that's how we get Karn liberated. And after all this time, on all the unlikely things that had to happen for Karn to become a planeswalker the first time, he gets to become a planeswalker a second time. <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the block, realizes like, eh, Mirrodin's pretty much lost, but now I realize I dripped this oil, and I'm going to peace out and make sure I didn't screw up any other worlds. So that's the last we see of this core trio. Uh, one thing we should notice is Tefiri believed he had lost his spark. Uh, we know now that Tefiri will be showing up on a Planeswalker card again. Uh, yep. So there are there are a lot of things that could have happened there. A lot of people are screaming. People love to scream retcon. People um, will scream retcon at anything that is different than before. Right. But we have, you know, we have precedent with Obnixilis going from a creature and reigniting his spark. It's possible yep. Tefiri reignited his spark. It's possible he only believed he didn't have a spark because, for instance, Venser was a planeswalker during the uh, Time Spiral novels and only shows up as a creature. Uh, Same Sh with Rada. Jaya Ballard, yeah. Well, ish, yeah. Jaya ish. Ballard. It's not even until like at the beginning of future sight so the final novel in the trilogy that tefiri understands that venser is a new breed of planeswalker with the mutated right. spark and doesn't have as much power so the reality is tefiri was probably just wrong he didn't understand what was going on with radha and venser as these new proto neo walkers um, and so he might just have discovered later, like he did in the first place. He didn't realize he was a planeswalker for a long time either after his spark ignited while he was in that slow time bubble. So he, maybe it just took him a few decades to realize, hey, I'm actually well, still a planeswalker. I just it, don't have godlike power anymore. Right. And it makes sense because, you know, planeswalkers were gods once. Oh, um, <laughs> Everyone take a shot. Um, so when you, when you go from godlike power to, you know, the way Planeswalkers are now, where the spark only gives them the ability to travel from plane to plane, for Teferi, that might have felt like losing his spark. Exactly. And he's uh, big enough of a jerk to... And he, he has enough hubris, and he's arrogant enough to think he's right and not realize it for a while. And that's a bit of a plot point, and Joda, like, talk, like, Joda has a talking to about him with that. He yells and drags him. So, like, it's people we'll people like Teferi. He's like, he's really jerky. He, like everything I've read about Teferi is like he's he's kind of an asshole um, for most of his life. So Teferi is a great character who is just very arrogant. He, he's he's a bad person, but a good. I, I would I wouldn't even call him a bad person like he's not like urza you know he's better, right he's at least better than urza but he's still Anyone's he's still an old walker urza. and doesn't consider the ramifications of his actions yeah but anyway that is time for us so yes. andrew last thoughts last thoughts uh there's a hummerid in dominaria it's great the next step uh we got to unify as a community and put pressure on wizards to print a Hummer and Planeswalker. That's that's phase two of the operation, now that they're back. Fallen Empires too, man. Okay, Carrie, last thoughts. Carrie never has any last thoughts. I'm not sold on... Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sold on Tefiri only believing that he lost his spark. I believe that he did lose his spark fully and that he will be reignited fully. Sure, yes. I'd, I'd like to see that play out too. I think that would be a more interesting story. Yes, I don't. I don't put a lot of uh, weight in the. I only believe I lost my spark thing. Right. It's just a potential explanation. Yeah, we we know nothing about the world on of Dominaria over the last sixty years, or anything about the story. So 
it's the best idea we have right now. It's a possibility is what it is. It's not a theory. All right. Well, thank you all. And you've been listening to the Vorthos podcast. Go Hamritz. And now a brief interview with art critic and two-year-old Arjun. Hello. That microphone. So this is a picture of Hamrit Explorer. What do you think of the artwork? The spider head. Spider on it. Oh, there's a spider on it? Yeah. Is it cool or is it gross? Gross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what do you think of the composition? It's spider. That, that my spider. That spider. That one. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. with that spider. I see, I see. And what do you think of the flavor of bringing back the homerids? Many other one. Okay. And uh, can you just say homerid for me real quick? Hamdin. Hamdin? Can you say homerid? This has one, two, three spiders. Two spiders? No, his head. Oh, his head is two spiders. He's stuck. Stuck. He's stuck? Yes. All right, say bye-bye, Homerid. Bye, Homerid.